I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. I wish I was on the beach in Mexico like Mike Makeoff. Yes, Mike Makeoff not with us. Hopefully he's on the beach right now. Today on the podcast, we are talking about the last three games. A win against Philly in a gritty, gritty, kind of ugly game. A tough loss against the Utah Jazz where I thought they played well, uh, but just lost it in the end. And a blowout of the Portland Trailblazers. Josh, you wanted to start with the Philly game and go chronologically, yes? Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot to say about the game itself uh, with the Sixers, you know, uh, but I want to talk about Jalen Brown, his play during that game as he's kind of playing his way back into game shape, it looked like, and and then then he sat out after that. So uh, I think, did Udoka say that he his injury was just stiffness in his hamstring right now that he didn't retweak it. He didn't. Yeah. Udoka said he, it was not a re aggravation of an injury that it was stiffness at the end of games, which doesn't make sense to me. Cause I remember seeing Jalen Brown holding his hamstring a couple of times in recent games. Yeah. In that Philly game, I feel like he tweaked it towards the end of the fourth quarter. And then they took him out of the game after that. And it seemed like that was an obvious acute uh, re injury. And not stiffness. So I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, his play was a little bit concerning to me. You know, it looked like he was just trying to gut it out and, and get back out on the court or like he was playing himself back into game shape or something. Well, don't you think that's that's COVID? COVID? Yeah. Brown had COVID, what, at the beginning of the year? Yeah. No, I think. He had he had COVID in, in preseason and, and right? And, yeah, and, but then he was playing super well and looked in great shape and. That's what's happening with Joel Embiid too. Embiid came back and scored like had a monster two games right after a recent bout with COVID, and then the last two games, the second of which was against the Celtics, he played really poorly. So what are you saying? I think that some players are ha- having uh, adverse effects of COVID, where and J- Jason Tatum talked about this, where like it takes a while to get like a their win back. Afterwards. And yeah, sometimes it's just like some games you have it and some games you don't, and it and you're not sure why. Uh, but up and down play, I think, is is should be expected, and I, I think the that there is talk that that Embiid was dealing with with that, and that that's why. I mean, he's obviously saying all the right things that he has to carry his team, and he's finding it harder to to uh, find easy shots, and he needs to set his teammates up, and and uh, they're clearly they're struggling without Ben Simmons, even though Tyrese Maxey is playing really really well this year. Um, but I, I, I think that that's one of the reasons that the Celtics won that game was that Embiid just played so poorly. He shot really, really poorly that game. Yeah. It's that age old thing of like, did we really play well to win that game or did they kind of lose the game and we benefited? What's your thought on that? Um, I think it's, you know, like we played really well against Utah, but they hit all their shots. And so they just beat us, but like they were kind of playing themselves out of the game early with all their turnovers. 
I don't think that we our defense was amazing. You know, so. well, we'll we'll get to Utah. What about Philly? Uh, for the Philly game, I think that it was tough with us playing with a very limited Jalen Brown, and um, you know, Tatum didn't have his best game that game. So I, I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that game. But I think in general, like we we've been at the mercy of the other teams a lot recently. And when they play really well, we lose. When they shoot themselves in the foot, we benefit. You know, but I'll take those W's all day. Yeah, and and I think Udoka said that in the press conference after the Philly game, he was like, "I'm not going to apologize for winning a game like that." Uh, I, I mean, I think that was more that they they we won that game in my opinion because they did not play that well. I love seeing the gritty win. That's really important, especially at the beginning of this year. So that's huge. Uh, and and yeah. you, you take those wins. And Tatum had 16 rebounds in that game. Yep. Um, but the, you know, there were a couple key threes, one to Seth, Seth Curry and uh, one to Danny Green with a minute left, or to bring the, get the, the Sixers within one uh, with a couple minutes left. Both of those three-pointers were hit in Jalen Brown's face. And so there was definitely, um, he was off, of a, you know, off a beat uh, defensively and just energy-wise. So I was a little concerned about that. And then obviously he didn't play in the Jazz game or the, or the Blazers game. So... Um, you know, obviously he needs to rest a little bit more before coming back, whether it's COVID or a re-aggravation of his hamstring. And which was the game that Robert Williams missed? Was that the Philly game? I know Horford was out against Utah. Uh, yeah, that was the Philly game, I believe, too. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the Jazz, I mean, they came out that game just running and gunning. It was a 14-2 to two run to start the game. They were three for three from three. Um, and Udoka immediately called a timeout. Um, go back in the game, and he's forced to take another timeout in the first quarter. Two timeouts in the first quarter due to bad play, and we were down 30 to 18 at that point. Um, but the one kind of silver lining sign was Jason Tatum and his play, um, trying to get guys involved, trying to make the right passes, lots of skip passes, swings, driving to pass. Um, and great timing on those passes. So I kind of, you know, with Tatum playing a lot of ISO ball early on in the year, this was like a huge sign for me, even though we were getting blown out. I was kind of thinking in the beginning, like, well, if Tatum's playing the right way, I think we have a chance to stay in this one. Were you noticing that too in the beginning of that game? Well, the beginning of the game, it was noticeable. The threes that Mike Conley especially was hitting, what was he like seven for seven? uh in that early on in that game yeah they uh, broke they broke the record right. nine three-pointers in the first quarter is the most ever in the first quarter of an nba game yes i mean i was watching with the the home telecast uh tv telecast and i agreed with what they were saying that like you scalabrini was saying you like seeing this team down 10 right now because utah's hitting all of their shots and they stayed in it uh, i also saw the playmaking from tatum and and it seems like He's figuring some things out. He's and and I couldn't tell whether it was the defense letting him get to the rim more easily or him uh finding a way to the rim that isn't just one-on-one dribbling getting by a guy. Um but starting with starting at the high post um and he's, he seems like he's spinning more. Uh I'm wondering if that is is a thing. Um but it seemed like especially against Utah that he was getting to the rim more easily. Um, and and freely uh, with with uncontested layups, um, and I'm not sure if that's because he's dishing more 
And the defense is is looking for that now. And he, he had a really nice pass to Robert Williams for a dunk. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he seems like he's looking for teammates beyond the first or even second pass at this point. But when he's driving, he's looking at what the entire defense is doing and who who's open, which is everything that I've been wanting for two years now. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable the timing of all of our Jason Tatum hatred over the last three to four weeks and this kind of change in his body language and attitude, his response to the referees and his response to contact anytime he's around it. It's almost as if he's listening to the pod. Totally us. Yeah, it's all us, right? I, I mean, it's the team played against the Jazz like they were not concerned with the the, the score, whether it was fourteen mm-hmm. to two or thirty to eighteen or forty three to twenty nine. It was like we didn't care about the score; we just kept going and going, even though it was like this was the start of the wet coast road trip, not the West Coast road trip. They were so hot from three. <laughs> like it's 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 just amazing to see Tatum finally driving to pass and trying to actually create for guys and doing that in the beginning of the game instead of and knowing that he can kind of take over late shot clock and late fourth quarter. Yeah. And that's his ISO time, right? Like he's even from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, getting a sense of what we've all been waiting for of how to manage the game as the star, as the lead facilitator. Um, this is the key right now to the Celtics. Like will Tatum drive to pass? Will he be comfortable with contact when he drives to score? His decision-making, to me, reveals his mental toughness, his resiliency. And with Brown out, Tatum is hes putting the team on his back right now. And doing it the right way. He's like helping the entire offense, yeah. not just going one-on-one and scoring. Because he's still missing a lot of tough shots. And I still don't like the tough shots that he takes. He doesn't need to take them. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally okay with those tough shots if he's, if he's putting the team on his back or putting the team on his brain, you know, like using his brain to facilitate... And, and solve the defensive problems out there. That Utah game was was also when they played Horford at the end. And uh, and I was like, why is Robert Williams not in this game? And they were just, it was like a layup line for Gobert, just just uh, pick and roll Conley to Gobert for dunks. Twice in a row, I think it may have even been more than that, uh, with Horford struggling to decide who to guard because it's a tough decision. Um, and I think Robert Williams with his athletic ability would have, had a, a better defensive presence, and I wasn't sure why he was he was on the bench there. Is he on a minutes restriction or something? Why? No, I, I thought he was a little banged up, but yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I do also want to mention, you know, like that was even though we lost the game, it felt like a win because of how Tatum played for you know like the first 44 minutes of the game at the end, it seemed like Tatum and Schroeder went back to some hero ball stuff that ended up not working out. Right. And so we gotta, we gotta put a little onus on those two guys for their ISO ball. But like, that is, that's, that's the next stage, right? Like we can't ask him to go all the way to like making great decisions, even in crunch time as well. Like give me, give me 44 minutes of, of good decision-making and then like hero ball that doesn't work out in the end at this point in the season, because we're getting, we're, we're still moving forward with that. For sure. And, and my issue at the end of that game was Dennis Schroeder, not Jason Tatum. Like I was like, this guy can needs to not be on the floor in crunch time. It was one of those (laughs) Dennis Schroeder games where he's just like, I got this, I'm going to score. He's taking bad shots. He ends up missing them. Sometimes he takes back bad shots and makes them like he did against the Blazers. But Oh my God. It was just like, thank God Jalen Brown, when this team is healthy, he is not going to be there in crunch time. 
I, I just really did not. I, I felt like he helped lose the game. That was close. And and I got to say, that felt like a win to me for a different reason than the one you gave, but it's because the Jazz are a really good team. Other than their turnovers, they do everything well. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're a better team than us. So the fact that we hung in tight with them, uh, that felt really good. And shout out to Chris Forsberg. You know, it was a very timely comment that he had during the broadcast, like the studio segment that he did uh, talking about how the Jazz do have a lot of turnovers and then all of a sudden all these unforced turnovers, just them passing the ball directly to the Celtics, fast breaks, including Romeo Lankford's fast break where, uh, you know, he he just pivoted too hard and rolled his ankle. Uh, now he's out for who knows how long, a week. Uh, <laughs> well, if it's Romeo, games. it's got to be a month, right? I don't know. I know. I think a sprained ankle is different than the kind of stuff he's been dealing with with his thumb and on his shooting hand and in the past when, you know, so I don't think Romeo has made a glass like that. I just think that the types of injuries he's had have been um, more specific to important areas. Like everyone rolls their ankles. He'll be back soon. I think now that he's a dead eye shooter, he doesn't need that ankle as much to drive. He can just hit those corner threes. I know. Right. <laughs> so Adam, let me, let me ask you this question. If I told you that, we were going to not re-sign Fournier in the offseason and that we were going to get a guy instead who's going to average 17 points, five assists, and four rebounds a game. Wouldn't you be excited about that? Yeah, especially on a contract of $5.6 million or whatever Dennis Schroeder's making. Exactly, right? And so he's like the classic like no-no yes guy, right? Like he, if he makes these shots, like in the Portland game, he had, what, 31 points and eight assists? Like he was just balling out. But... He's still twisting his hips on every jump shot. And when they go in, it's like, okay, that was a good shot. Like it, it verifies the, the poor shot selection of a, a frustrating player for fans. Um, but like, it seems like the, his teammates are accepting him and are coaching him up. You know, there's many points throughout the game when uh, like at the end of the Portland game, Jalen Brown's on the bench standing right next to Schroeder with his arm around him. Um, Horford's always grabbing him. Grant Williams is always grabbing him. And I feel like Schroeder doesn't listen to Grant Williams as much as he listens to, yeah. uh, Jalen Brown or Al Horford. Like you can tell when Schroeder's listening and when he's not even like, he's pretty much wears his demeanor on his sleeve. Um, and yeah, he's like, he's the classic no, no, yes guy. And so, you know, he's pretty split. Like he might be the most polarizing player since Antoine Walker on the Celtics. <laughs> wow. That's saying a lot. I don't know about that. He is, dude. He's he's. There's a lot of people who really hate Dennis Schroeder. Oh, I'm wondering who the lovers who are. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell which side I'm on. He's a good six man. I would take him as a six man. Come in there, score the ball. Like that guy can drive on almost anybody. Um, I love the fact that he had some scoring punch, and um, I don't want him in at crunch time. I don't want him just pounding the ball. Well, he needs to run the offense. Yeah, but ideally, when Jalen Brown's back and you got Smart Brown and Tatum, and then Horford and Williams or Grant Williams and and Time Lord up front, then you don't have him starting, and that's right. Potentially, you don't have him finishing. So unless you're finishing small, yeah. If Udoka wants to go offense defense at the end of the game with him on for offense, I'm okay with that. It just seems like Udoka trusts him over some other players that I'm not sure if that's the right move. Like I, I think sometimes I'd rather have Josh Richardson in the game. Maybe Romeo yeah, sometimes too. I'm yeah, I'm all for giving Romeo more minutes. But you know, Romeo's not putting up seventeen five and four. 
no. even on his best nights. He's just not. And there is something to be said for confidence, even if it is irrational, which uh, I would <laughs> say that Dennis Schroeder has. And so then we hit the Blazers game, and Jason Tatum comes out exactly the same way. Elite playmaking and passing. Always making the right play, even if it didn't result in an assist. Like I think he only got like four or six assists that game. But it was like he was playing like he would have gotten 10, 11 assists. Um, but he wasn't concerned with the assist. He was concerned with just the making the right play, the simple pass, and getting the ball moving. Um, and that's what his third year of being a primary ball handler is supposed to look like, in my opinion. Um, I also liked in that game the way Marcus Smart and Aaron Neesmith were first to the floor on any 50-50 balls or loose balls. Like those guys, the, the toughness that they add with their hustle on the on loose balls and box outs, those are like the two opportunities I feel like when we get to see like our tough guys actually be as tough as real tough guys. It's like the most yeah. of the toughest guys around the league, you know? Um, like if there's a, if we tip a ball and it's loose in front of the guy, like, you know, Marcus smart is going out there and diving for it, yeah. even if he doesn't need to. Um, and, and Neesmith and will also, same, yeah, exactly. Same with Neesmith. So I love seeing the Neesmith minutes now with Jalen Brown out. That is the one server lining for me. Can we talk about Neesmith a little bit? Cause I, once Romeo went down, I, that was the first thing that I thought of was let's see if right. Aaron Neesmith gets some minutes. Cause he has not this season. He's been really struggling to, uh, hit shots, number one, which is abnormal for him. Um, and I feel like he's been struggling to be in the right place at the right time, um, both on offense and on defense. His hustle is still there. Uh, Udoka has has said earlier in the season that he's rushing things. He's like, his pace is just too quick um, and he needs to settle down. But I'm really curious. I, I mean, I think that not having a role, not knowing, not being a part of the rotation. And so not knowing like uh, whether, not just when you're going to play, but if you're going to play, I think that takes its toll on players. Uh, I, they've talked a lot about that. And so totally. that I think is affecting Neesmith. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, like, what does the transition look like for him to play in this, the role he has now where he's fringe rotation, getting some minutes, but still may not know when exactly he's playing. How do you see that? translating in terms of his confidence do you is what i'm seeing about being in the right place at the right time is is that an issue for him right now how does that affect his shooting things like that well the shooting is getting better the last like last game it was three for five or three for four so um his percentage is slowly creeping back up and if you remember last year he started out terrible from three he ended the season with a decent percentage 38 or 36 percent so I mean, hopefully this isn't the trend for his career that every year he starts shooting poorly. And well, he, he had no preseason. He had no preseason yeah, exactly, last year, right. too. So that's what I attributed right. that to. So that may have been but my mistake. He's 20 years old, and he's hustling way more than he did in college. Like, I didn't see he – yeah. he wouldn't have been nicknamed Crash in college. But he's at the NBA level now, and he's doing whatever it takes, right? He's one of those guys who's <laughs> so eager and and, like – Coach is telling me I got to play hard. That's how I'm going to earn minutes. Okay, I'm going to play hard every single minute. And yeah. so then you end up playing too fast. And so okay. the game hasn't slowed down for him yet. Yeah, you can NBA tell he's level, down right? in his stance on defense. He's really fighting hard through yeah. through picks. He's like, he's hustling. He wants it too much at this point, <laughs> right? And so he's not able to relax. And that's a super common thing for 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Okay. Um, and I don't see him not being in the right place uh, all the time like i don't see that as a huge issue maybe compared to like what their expectations are 
of him, which may be different than their expectations of Josh Richardson or other veterans, right? So like maybe you can trust the adjustment process to happen quicker with a veteran. Um, but for Neesmith, I felt like he the game did slow down to him last year for like a month or so. But then with the coaching change, you know, it's kind of like starting from scratch all over again. Then you got those two guys ahead of you and Schroeder and Richardson when you come back with a new coach and, and it's just hard to, to, to have everything click right. And if you're a shooter and you start missing a few shots, now all of a sudden you're packed away at the end of the bench. So I think it's only a matter of time. Um, just like it's it's going to take some time for our guys to gel and we can start now to see the ball movement's improving. We're starting to actually play for each other a little bit more in these last two games. And, you know, it takes time for all these different personalities to gel and mix. And I think it's the same for a young guy trying to get on the floor like Neesmith. So with Neesmith, uh, he did not have a role up until now. And every single year, this kind of a thing happens where I said he's going to have his shot because guys will go down. People will get injured and he will have an opportunity. So I'm I'm excited that he has that opportunity now and to continue seeing what he's going to do with it. Um, can we talk about uh, Peyton Pritchard's first good game of the season, Josh, and, and yeah, his, this bench reaction here in, in front of his hometown? Yeah, that was his best game of the season by far. And when I saw, I think he had 16 points. Was that maybe his best game of the of his career? Did he have any 20 point games last year? I can't. Yeah, remember. he had. A, but, I think I think he had came close or had a couple. With the way he struggled, it felt like his best game of his career. You know, it was all at the end of the game when it didn't matter. So like, but honestly, more so for the team and less so for Pritchard. Like, it was great that Pritchard was home, and you know, all the coaches have a Portland connection and all that stuff. I saw that moment when Pritchard kept getting the ball and kept hitting threes and the bench was going nuts, even to the point where they got a tech. The bench tech to me was like a turning point for the season. I'm calling it. There's something happened there. Something happened there where the team was coming onto the floor celebrating um, the antics and the way that they were like pulling for someone who needed a boost. Yeah. And it was, was a selfless move that I wouldn't expect from, this Celtics version, this team, like at this point in the year, last year's team, sure. But this year's team has some more individuals on it, like Schroeder. And to me, like that, it like all stats should start over from that point on for this, for this team. Like if, if Tatum continues to lead like he is, there's going to be more opportunities and more moments of like trust building that will be vital when like a serious discussion needs to happen yeah. and certain players will need to listen. Like, right. We just talked about Schroeder and how he listens differently to different guys. Like there's going to be a point in time when he doesn't want to listen to Tatum or Brown or Horford. And like those kinds of come together team cohesion moments are what allows a player to listen when it really matters later in the year. Um, I, I think guys just don't listen to each other with, without those types of for each other moments. Like, so getting attack for celebrating a teammate success. It's like, that's organically promoting Bill Russell's team ego. That's, that's the team ego growing bigger than individual egos. And shoot, if that's not Celtics pride, I don't know what is. So what are you saying that this means is going to happen? What's when you say it's a turning point? Um, I think that I'm looking to see if this team moves the ball, like if their assists per game increase from uh, like two games ago until uh, for another couple of weeks. I want to see if that changes. Um, and just like body language wise, like 
are we going to have more moments where guys are pulling for each other or trying to make each other better on the court because we're gelling and we're having fun, you know, like we're, we're coming together as a group. Um, so there's a lot of positive things. And, and I think, I think that like people talk about like any players only meetings being like turning points in the season. And sometimes we don't, uh, give credit to like the positive moments that may also be turning points in the season. Um, instead of like just the growing pain moments of, of negativity or fights or like emotions coming to a head, like that was that we got teed up. We got a bench tech, man. <laughs> I love it. What do you think about Imeo Doka apologizing to Chauncey Billups, the coach of the Portland Trailblazers for, it wasn't quite running up the score, but like the Celtics were taking shots uh, with, with like, a lot of time left on the shot clock. They weren't trying to like run the clock down. And he did, he apologized basically for being too aggressive. Yeah. How do you feel about Showboating. that as a coach? Yeah. I didn't know he apologized for that. I thought, um, I think it's a humble move. It's obviously it's like the mature thing to do, but this is the pros, man. He, uh, he apologized and he said he spoke to the team about it after, right after the game. And Peyton Pritchard was asked about it in uh, the press conference after the game. And he was like, we were making shots. What do you want me to do? Sort of a, a reaction. Not, yeah, not, 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 not defensive or like off-putting in, in the way, the tone of voice that I said. But he's just said, you know, I, I, w- I was hitting shots and uh, like, I'm not sure what you want me to do differently. Yeah. This isn't, th- I mean, like, that's the humble, mature thing to do. But this is the pros. You don't always have to be humble and mature. Like if you want to smack the other team around because you're beating them so badly, like w- just by running up the score with your garbage time guys, especially if they're local guys and you're and got a bunch of fans like and family in the stands, like that's that. At the, at, if there's any level that should be okay, it's the NBA. Like <laughs> you know, like I don't think anyone should need to apologize for that. But of course, it's the mature thing to do. It's a classy move by Udoka. Um, maybe it could be misconstrued if he doesn't apologize or like, that's the kind of thing that could create bad blood. And so he's not trying to do that. Um, exactly. You know, like even like the Blazers aren't a team in the playoffs that we're going to worry about. Right. But if, if that's a team rival of ours, you don't want them holding on to anything that they can use to motivation. If you can yep. like, right. This has been a really interesting year <laughs> in the NBA. I mean, Dennis Schroeder, another Forsberg stat, you know, they, he talked about Dennis Schroeder. He scores 25 on 50, 40, 90 in the second night of back-to-backs. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, like, yeah, just a lot of crazy stats coming out this year. Um, Is Horford getting and, rested on back-to-backs now? Do you think that's what's happening there? No, I think they're just monitoring his minutes. Okay. I think if he's banged up at all, like maybe from time to time, like maybe there's strategic games where like this one's one of them maybe. Um, but I don't, you know, this isn't a Kemba Walker thing. Three years ago when he was on the Celtics, they were uh, monitoring his minutes in those ways and they would play him less or tr- or sometimes not play him on back-to-backs to rest him. I, so I think it's the right thing. It's, you can't just say, okay, on back-to-backs, we're going to rest you. Like the, you don't know what's going to happen with the other guys on the team. Like if, if Grant Williams and Rob Williams are both out, like Horford's playing 30 minutes. He's not, you know, or 35 minutes. He's not playing the 29 minutes he's, he averages on the uh-huh. year. Like, it's just, so it's how can you, like, plan ahead, like, and pick games out of the schedule we're going to rescue against this team because they're not very good or, like, so I think that planning could happen maybe, like, day to day or a week ahead of time or based on Horford, how Horford's feeling. Um, 
that, yeah, that's, I think that's the most realistic way to look at it. Ennis Cantor is getting some actual rotation minutes. He came in early um, in, which was the game where, was it Utah, where um, Grant Williams got in foul trouble early? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was Utah. Right? No, it was, he yelled out, he's 7-4. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, but Rob Williams got in foul trouble early in the Blazers game, and he had to come in against his old Blazers team too. But who did you, who are you talking about? Ennis who? I'm sorry, Ennis Cantor Freedom. Ennis Freedom. My thank you for Ennis correcting me. K Freedom. Ennis K Freedom. I think that's what we should we should call him, like the world be free. We should put that middle <laughs> initial in there. E K Freedom. He's he seems to be playing well. I mean, I think he always plays Embiid fairly well, considering how tough it is to guard him. Uh, and and that Blazers team, he's, the, there's two teams that like having Ennis on on their team. One is the Celtics, and the other is the Blazers. He may spend the yeah. rest of his career going back and forth. Um, so I think totally. he's probably got some extra motivation uh, to play well against Portland. Uh, and he did. He played really well. And I, I, I like he looks confident. He's actually playing reasonably well for him on defense. Uh, we're not looking terrible with him on the court. He's rebounding really well per usual. And uh, I, I like what I'm seeing there. I mean, it's like these are these are regular season minutes that you expect him to play. He's on a minimum contract. I think this is great. And, and we need those minutes from him. And he wants to be here. Like that's, he wanted to come back to the Celtics. It seemed more than Portland, you know, like, so there's something to be said about your role players who have a role that is important and don't need to uh, have more than just that role that actually want to be on your team. Mm -hmm. All right, Adam, there's a couple stats that I think are really important and telling for, uh, to combat our Tatum hate that we've had over the last few weeks. Okay. Um, the stat number one, Jason Tatum is second on the team in rebounds per game at 8.7 behind time word. So he's ahead of Horford, Jason Tatum. Yeah. Horford's never been a great rebounder, but I love seeing that. Yeah. Well, he's having a better rebounding year this year than he has in recent years. Horford, he's 8.8 rebounds a game and, and Tatum's 8.7. I love um, seeing that from Tatum. That's important. And he's so yeah, he's, he's, he should be playing some good four minutes, like minutes at the four position. And to do that, I think he needs to rebound well. Yeah, and most of his rebounds are defensively. Um, but it shows that even if his shot's not going down or even if his shot selection's not what we want it to be, that he's contributing in, in other ways um, as, you know, not just scoring and, and learning to facilitate. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you were to build the ideal Jason Tatum in a lab, like what would he be able to do? I mean, the ideal Jason Tatum, he's he's an offensive player like he is with the footwork. He's not going to be the most athletic guy. Um, he would be able to pass like he's starting to. That needs to be really consistent. Um, he would play top-level team defense using his yep. length to getting passing lanes. Um, he would play team offensive basketball, setting guys up, within the flow of the game. Like the way Donovan Mitchell played in that Utah game, where at the end of the game, he was like, crunch time, I'm going to hit these shots. And he did. That's the way Tatum should be playing. And Tatum starts doing that from the beginning of the game. So he needs to like play in the flow of the offense. This is like something that most good players learn to do, especially the ones who make their teammates better. It's the Michael Jordan thing of like learning how to set up his teammates earlier in the game and then when to take over at different points in the game, depending on what's happening in the game. Um, so there's that mental piece for Tatum. 
Um, and right. the rebounding would, would definitely be there. Right. And the numbers, I think the rebounding numbers kind of show what the super, super, superstars show these days. You know, like Jordan wasn't a high rebound, high assist guy necessarily. Um, and so the ideal Tatum, I think, is not like a, a 29, 5, and 4 guy. Like LeBron, right. Durant, like those guys are averaging, you know, 10 assists or 10 rebounds or close to it per game. And so like just those 8.7 rebounds for Tatum, are, are, I think, are really important as he tries to become tries to go from being a star to a super, super, superstar. Yeah, I mean, I could see superstar numbers for him being like 29, 9, and 5 with 8. 29 and 5? Yeah, twenty nine, nine and five. Yeah. Twenty nine points, exactly. nine boards, five assists, eight to ten trips to the free throw line. Right. Well, eight, the eight to ten is like playoffs ex- expectations. I think these days it's really hard to average more than six free throw attempts per game because the three the free throw attempts have just been dropping so so much yeah. over the years. Um, so now you look at a guy who's got five or six free throw attempts per game. That's actually like tops in the NBA these days, or close to it. So. Um, I think there's another telling stat with Tatum as to his rise towards that super, super, superstar. He's fourth in the NBA in minutes per game this year with 36.7. He's behind Fred Van Vliet, 38.3, OG Ananobi, 37.3, and then LeBron at 36.9. Um, and of those top four <sighs> players, he's he's played the most games. So he's putting this team on his back like especially with Jalen Brown out, like just the fact that he's playing a lot of minutes to me is a testament to his, his commitment and like to towards consistency, trying to show up as our number one option when we need him most. Yeah. So the first thing I think of for that stat minutes played is coaching. This is a big difference between Ime Odoka and Brad Stevens. Udoka is playing guys more minutes. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, Obviously, we need Tatum to play those minutes in these games to win them, but uh, I'm just not sure how I feel about that. What do you mean he's playing? What do you mean Udoka's playing guys more minutes? Like he's not playing Horford more minutes. I think he's playing the the top players more minutes than Brad Stevens did. I feel like for some of them, it's where like what their career trajectory demands and is like kind of normal. Like for Rob Williams, it's time for Rob Williams to be playing. 25 to 30 minutes a game or 35 minutes a game. Like he's not a 19 minute a game guy anymore. Like, are you worried about the number of minutes that smart Brown and Tatum are playing over the course of a season, potentially over the course of multiple seasons? Definitely. I mean, this is like, yeah, uh, I mean, when you say Tatum is playing the fourth most minutes in the NBA, I'm thinking about like, that's Tom Thibodeau territory. Well, shoot, look at the Toronto Raptors have guys, number one and two. You know, like yeah, and I mean the other pieces that Tatum has been going back to back for three seasons now, where it's like season summer stuff, Olympic stuff. Like he's he's had a, a really busy schedule, and I think coming into this year, he he needs a bit of a break. I mean, he's twenty four. Yeah, but I but I mean, there's there's some interesting research out there that major injuries are happening to players a lot younger than they used to because of constant training. You need rest. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna get it. So, I, and I'm wondering if the I'm wondering if the start of the season, the way the start of the season that Tatum has had, the struggles that he's had, is related to that. Like he's struggling with shooting the ball, which has never been an issue for him in the NBA. Okay, so I'm gonna take this one back to the mental toughness stuff. Like we were hard on Jason Tatum for 
the way he was responding body language mentally yep. and emotionally to referee calls and contact yep and playing the most fourth most minutes in the nba to me is like mental toughness and dedication and commitment and loyalty like to your team to me that's that's a sign of the mental toughness side of things um it's a it's an argument for him being tougher than what we were calling him three weeks ago. So I love that perspective. Is is it time for me to create a, a nickname list based on mental toughness for Tatum? Uh, yeah, maybe for wow, the next really? pod or the one after. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah, why I'm not? Gonna, I'm gonna wait on that. Uh, I I do love this perspective, and I, I agree with you. I do think it's it, it's not just it, the coach saying you're you're going in there. I think it's it's the player saying I got to carry the team now. I like that a lot, yeah, I mean, especially it, with Brown out. If you think Tatum's playing really well or playing the way you want him to play, that's directly proportional to the number of nicknames you need to put on your <laughs> positive nickname list. Like if you're enjoying watching him play, you better start a positive nickname list is what I'm saying. I think he needs to do it for more than a couple of weeks before I'm I'm ready to, to do that. And, and I look cool. forward to that happening. Cool. All right, what's coming up? Upcoming games at Los Angeles, the Lakers, the last game against the Lakers, I thought was a statement win for the Celtics. And this Lakers team has not been, has been struggling. Um, so they always get up for that, that game. It's on TNT. So they should get up for that game. Uh, that's on Tuesday night. When and so you, can I ask you, do you think the last LA Laker game, it was LeBron's first game back from injury. Yeah. Do you think the Lakers kind of played themselves into the loss or do you think we, <sighs> We outplayed them and, and our defense suffocated them and we earned the win. That was at a transitional time for us when our defensive consistency was still a question mark and we were proving okay. it partly in that game. So I think that yeah. happened. And I would say the Lakers did not play that well. Uh, so, okay. I mean, that was, they got that both teams got fiery in that game. LeBron has been fiery the last week or two. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, this Lakers team has a, they're depleted. They've got some injury issues. They've got three players back from last year, I think. So they're integrating all these new players, some of whom have played on the team before. Um, but it's, there's tra- some transition stuff for them, and they've had some injury issues. Um, I expect them to do well this year, and I think the Celtics look at them as a team that they, uh, that is a good team that they can beat. And so I'm, I'm excited for that game again at the Lakers house the next day back to back, they play the Clippers. Any thoughts on that game, Josh? I'm expecting Dennis Schroeder to have a 50, 40, 90, 25 points in that game. <laughs> Second night of a back to back. So he's probably starting that game too then. Yeah. And then maybe we'll see a little Marcus Morris, uh, Grant Williams, you know, chest to chest. Hopefully something will, you know, some, some rivalry stuff will come out of that game. Then the Celtics head to Phoenix, best team right now in the NBA. Massive win streak. Uh, that's a really tough team. Yeah, the the Phoenix and Milwaukee games coming up are, are the real ones. Um, the Laker games, uh, Laker and Clipper games are kind of like the tests before reality hits. And, and we're playing like the potentially the two top teams in the entire NBA aside from Golden State. So those are real tests. Hopefully we can survive the two LA games without Jalen Brown if he still needs rest and that we can be more fully healthy with players that matter like him um, and to a lesser extent, Romeo for those Phoenix and Milwaukee games. Two and one in the last three is not bad, especially given how this season has gone so far in the teams that we played. The next three are on the road. So that's going to be tough before coming home 
against Milwaukee. We will be talking about all of that next Tuesday. Did, was there something else? Yeah, I got, I got, I got one more question for you before the pod ends. So, Mike Minkoff, he's on the beach in Mexico. He's got a little umbrella and a straw coming out of the drink. What's in the drink? Ooh, I, it, it's a strawberry daiquiri. What is it? I think he's going Modelo Dos Equis type of thing. He's double fisting. <laughs> you know, one of those those two, a Mexican lighter beer. That's okay, my guess. Mexican light beer. So, so no umbrella and no straw. I'm thinking no umbrella, no straw, no straw. I mean, if it were me, it would be a pina colada with a, an umbrella and and a hopefully yeah. like a twisty straw. But I yeah, don't think that's Mike's style. Umbrella and a twisty straw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if oh. they can do it for me, yeah. All right. You know what? No, he's doing margarita too. He could do frozen frozen margarita. I could see that. Yeah, thing. yeah. I'm picturing a straw and an umbrella. I don't. I don't know why. Last time I was in Mexico. There was a a buy. They had like dollar drinks, and I w- I had both the light beer and the margar the frozen margarita. So that's what I'm going to imagine him. We'll we'll there check in go. with him. Yeah, yeah, he'll be back next, next pod. All right. Well, if you care about what Mike Minkoff is drinking on the beach in Mexico, you will listen again. Thank you for listening this time. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. I don't know if Mike is tweeting from Mexico, but if you want to follow him, if he is at Mike Minkoff NBA and follow Josh at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. Thank you for listening. You are a part of Celtics Pride. (laughs)